Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, uh, what do you think of the Cleveland Browns? Um, Freddie Kitchens should uh, go back to <laughs> coaching uh, whatever it was he was coaching before uh, he ran the offense last year, and the Browns should hire Ryan Day, which solves two major problems in my life. The Browns should absolutely hire Ryan Day. Uh, uh, before he called plays last year he was just the running back coach for the browns so he Correct. can yes he, he can just get demoted back to that when hopefully you know uh, uh, there's no wood or oh, there's the floor i'm just knocking on some wood that ryan day uh gets asked to move 90 minutes northeast but uh we are not a ryan day podcast even though he uh is good and coaches a team that is going to play Penn State soon. We're a Penn State podcast, which means today we're going to be talking about Penn State's 28-7 to win over Michigan State. The Nittany Lions went into East Lansing, picked up a win over the Spartans to move in 8-0 to 8-0 on the year, 5-0 in conference play. And after the most recent AP Top 25 came out today, they are now fifth in that poll, only behind LSU, Alabama, Ohio State. Clemson. Uh, Sean Clifford had himself a football game while he didn't. Well, his efficiency numbers might be a little bit skewed. Uh, 18 passes, uh, 32 passes, 18 completions for 189 yards, uh, four touchdown receptions, had a pick. Nittany Lions were very conservative running the football. Uh, Again, took the running back by committee approach. And Pat Fryermuth. Uh, baby Gronk in every way, shape, and form, basically. Fire sessions, 60 yards, three scores with K.J. Hamler. Adding in a touchdown to the defense, allowed 265 yards of total offense. Matt, before we dive into uh, the offense and defense and those aspects of the game, what were just your uh, just your general thoughts on Penn State winning a game that I think every Penn State fan psychologically needed them to win uh, by the three-score margin that we ended up seeing? Yeah, and it, a, that last part is kind of the, the the key part that sticks out to me. I think when you have been around the, the Penn State blogosphere and social media for as long as we both have, generally when you put out requests for predictions for just about any game on the schedule, you're going to get a lot of Penn State wins and Penn State wins big predictions. I don't think there was one that we saw on Saturday or even leading up to the game earlier in the week that really had anyone expecting Penn State to win this game handily, whether it be because of the weather forecast or the history of Mark D'Antonio against James Franklin um, or just the thir- third big game in as many weeks um, against a team that um, in Michigan State coming off a bye was really, really desperate for a win. Um, my biggest takeaway, and I think the biggest thing that I saw was how they really came out, were firing on all cylinders from the very start on on both sides of the ball. Um, And really, um, with a team like Michigan State that struggled offensively so much, they really put this game um, out of reach in the first half with the K.J. Hamler touchdown right before halftime. Um, And I know everyone right now that's listening is saying, well, hey, what about about the Michigan game the week before they raced out the 21-0 lead? Michigan State is a different animal um, in a a bad way for for the Spartans. Um, They just don't have nearly the weapons on offense um, that that Michigan does and you know, to to uh, go off that, we also at Michigan did a pretty good Notre Dame defense on on mm-hmm. Saturday night in Ann Arbor. Um, but I think they they executed what they needed to execute, um, kind of to a T off the the start, off the bat, to be able to 
race out to that big lead. Um, and I think it allowed them to play a little looser, a little bit more conservatively in the second half. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more here. Um, but I think very clearly the game plan was to get, get out, establish the lead with the weather conditions. Obviously the field was going to deteriorate as the game went on. They really went out and, um, on both sides of the ball, didn't leave a whole lot of doubt, um, who was the better team. Yeah. It was one of those games where they really did just take care of business. I, their one turnout. The fact that they were able to be re- to not turn the ball over more than once in those conditions, uh, especially considering what the one turnover was, uh, Sean Clifford basically just arm punting it into the arms of a Michigan State defender. Like the very first play of the game, I think this is something. This is something that I certainly forgotten. And my guess is a good some number of Penn State fans are going to forget this. KJ Hamler fumbled the opening kickoff, and it just didn't matter because Penn State fell on it. Like. They were able to just make those little winning plays and play smart football throughout the course of the game. And to me, that was the entire thing. I, we'll talk about this a little bit more once we get into breaking down the offense and the defense. But I said on the midweek pod, the thing that I wanted to see out of Penn State was a very smart, very pragmatic game plan. They did not let Michigan State run the ball. The Spartans got less than three yards per carry whenever they ran it. They didn't let them throw the ball four yard, 4.2 yards per pass. They picked their, again, outside of the end of the game uh, when they were trying, when I'm still not totally sure what they were trying to do, uh, they picked their spots really well in the passing game. And in the running game, they seemed very happy to just take what Michigan State gave them. And when you put all that stuff together, that leads to what we saw. It was a 28-7 win where Penn State was very clearly the better team. Michigan State's only points came on a drive where they got what was essentially an outlier for them. They get a they, they get a first uh, they convert a third down. Uh, oh wait, no, they convert a second and ten. They were able to get ten yards on that. Then they decide to take a shot and they complete it for forty nine yards. Outside of that, I their longest rushing play was twelve yards. Their longest pass they had one for nineteen yards. They weren't really getting much going long, short, intermediate on offense. And Penn State deserves a ton of credit for that. But before we get into what the Penn State defense did, Matt, I want to talk about Penn State's offense. Uh, three hundred and two yards of total offense, which considering what they were playing in and the caliber of the defense they were playing in, it's not nearly as ghastly as it sounds. Uh, I want to I want to do passing game and then a running game and then passing game as we kind of look through this. I'm not too disappointed with how the running game went. Thirty seven carries, one hundred and thirteen yards. Uh, the one that I've seen a lot of. Penn State fans point to was Noah Kane getting six carries, but it did seem like he picked up. It didn't seem like it was widely reported that he picked up a knock, and I think people just didn't quite see that. But to me, what I was most impressed by, and again, I want to hear your thoughts on this. This was the first game I can really remember this year, Matt, where it seemed like Penn State's running backs were pretty happy with getting, consistently pretty happy with going, okay, if there's a four-yard gain here, I'm going to go get that gain of four yards. Uh, if there's a gain of three yards there, I'm going to try and get there. It wasn't one of those game plan. Again, I might just be remembering this wrong. It didn't seem like one of those things where they would look and they would see the offensive line didn't give them a huge hole, so they tried to bounce it and they ended up losing yards or they were getting pushed back in the backfield or anything like that. It was just a very smart game running the ball out of Penn State. Yeah, I think the thing that 
stood out to me, and we talked about a lot about this out of the Michigan game last week, was how the the um, read that Clifford was making on the option play um, felt like it was much more consistent. It was 100%, and I don't think any quarterback's going to be 100% in that aspect, but Clifford carried the ball seven times, and there were, I think, two sacks that are part of that, and a couple um, called passes where he ended up scrambling for either um, you know, no gain or a limited gain. It felt like very few keeps by him on the option, which led to a more productive rushing game. They only averaged you know, just a hair over three yards a carry um, as a team, but it felt like the rushing game was much more effective. Um, they were more they were consistently able to you know, get those three or four yards, stay ahead of the chains, um, not have like you said, Bill, those negative plays or those no, those short gains um, that would put them either behind schedule or um, you know set up those second, third, and long that you know created the obvious passing situation, which is what you want to stay away from against a defense like Michigan State. Um, you know, Journey Brown led the team with 12 carries. I thought Devin Ford um, had a really solid game. He had a long of 16, but it felt like he was um, you know, starting to see glimpses of what we saw from him in high school as far as that combination of, of patience, power, and his athleticism. Um, I don't know if we've talked about it at all or not, but from a pure talent standpoint, I think you and I probably both agree he's probably the most naturally talented back, but you know, adjusting to the college game is... is is, is um, hasn't allowed those to shine through completely yet. Um, I thought it was telling that Noah Kane started the game. Um, you mentioned the the unreported or not unreported, but undiscussed injury um, that that he picked up. Um, I've, I even feel like Slade is kind of right there on the verge of breaking out. He had his longest run or longest run was nine yards, but he it, he still feels like he's just in so much of a hurry every time he gets the ball. Um, I made a comment earlier today that I, you wonder if you can combine his athleticism with Kane's patience and vision. Um, you kind of have that that perfect back, but it just felt like they were much more in rhythm um, when they were looking to run the ball. Um, and part of that, like you said, is taking what was there. And part of it, I think too was Clifford being a little bit more confident with that read and whether to keep or whether to to hand off to whoever the back was. And then throwing the ball again. I, I there's a chance that I'm completely wrong on this, and I was just seeing what my brain wanted me to see. But it seemed to me like they understood completely that trying to push down the ball downfield and go for the big play. And when I mean downfield, I mean 15, 20, no, not even 15, 20 plus yards down the field. It seemed like they understood that that probably wasn't the best course of action when you're playing in conditions like this. So what they did instead was they decided to get Sean Clifford into a bit of a groove where he was just finding guys and making smart passes. He completed uh, his only pass on the first drive. He went four for four on Penn State's second drive. On Penn State's third drive, he missed a pass to K.J. Hamler, and then outside of the bomb to Dan Chisena, and oh no, he did miss the other one to Daniel George. Regardless, he just looked settled, and it looked like they understood that the best course of action was for him to just take those small short, medium passes as they came, and he converted them. I, I think that this was, I said it, uh, you know, I tweeted this out after the first half. This seemed like one of the best game plan. This might have been the best half of the year that we saw out of Ricky Ronnie, all things considered, because it was Penn State executing a game plan 
that I think everyone agreed was what we want was what they needed to do in order to beat a pretty good defense. Yeah, and but I, I think, didn't quite think they were going sorry. to. No, go ahead. Yeah, it's um, I think you know the the Maryland game. You kind of, it's they were certainly impressive, but the quality of the defense was below what Michigan State throws out there. Um, I think too we've kind of become conditioned to Michigan State being you know more like Michigan than Iowa, and I think I'm probably guilty of this to some degree. I think I even said it on the podcast last week, um, but they've kind of evolved as they've lost some of those um, big time cover corners in their secondary to be a lot more of a zone team than a press man team. Um, so they take away that big play. So that combined with the the conditions, um, it felt like they really were well prepared for for what they were going to be facing both from an opposition and element standpoint. Um, and like you said, Bill, it felt like they were just much more, both in both phases of the offense, both running the ball and throwing the ball, just felt much more in rhythm, knew what they wanted to do. It was executed really well. Um, even as for the game, I think uh, this will be on the site later in the week, but Nick um, just finished charting the uh, the passes in the, in the um, receivers chart. I think he credited Penn State with, with six drops, and he's a little harsher than than uh, most statisticians probably are, but there were certainly six balls that were catchable to varying degrees, um, the difficulty ranges on, on each of those. Um, there, was, there were catchable balls that weren't made, whether it was because of the elements or otherwise. Um, so you know, Clifford could have been 24 or 32 if those passes are caught. Um, so just a, a really, really efficient game. And I think, like you said, considering the the quality of the defense they were facing, probably their most complete half of the year over the first 30 minutes. Yeah, I'll look into this. All right, we're gonna get into the uh, we're gonna get into a point where we talk about kind of the last, you know, last quarter or so of this game in a little bit. But before, but I, I am gonna go back and look and just see how many of Clifford's incompletions kind of came when the game was decided because. It seemed to me like early on they were going. They were telling him, "Sean, do the high, go for the high percentage throw. If we get seven, eight, nine, ten yards instead of going for those big plays, going for those knockout blows, that's going to be a much more sustainable, uh, much more sustainable offense, much smarter path to success in this game. All things considered, and he took that." I, like I mentioned during the intro, 18 for 32 for 189 yards. Those don't sound all that impressive, but when you go back and you watch the game and you look at how comfortable Clifford was and you looked at how good he was during that first half when Penn State was getting to the point that it was, it really seemed like it was still playing to just bury Michigan State, he was outstanding. And that's something that I think they... He, he can build on, and I hopefully will build on, because this last month of the year, uh, with one very glaring exception, is going to be uh, going to be a tough one. But before we get to that, I want to talk about Penn State's defense. Uh, Matt, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here with a question that uh, I think I already know what you're going to answer, but Michigan State, 265 yards of total offense, couldn't run the ball, couldn't pass the ball turned it over four times. How much of that do you put on Penn State's defense? How much of that do you put on the fact that Michigan State's offense just ain't all that good? And how much of that do you put on the conditions that this game was played in? I think I'll probably, in order, I'd probably give Penn State's defense um, the most credit and then um, kind of a tie for second between the elements and the 
lack of explosiveness, I'll say, um, on Michigan State's offense. Um, and I think Penn State's offense, um, in a way, deserves some credit, too, for putting Michigan State in a position where they got out of what they want to do on offense in a, in a perfect scenario where they want to run the ball, control the clock, not have to play come from behind. They were down 21 nothing at halftime um, and kind of put in a position where they needed to start putting more on the worky, putting more on uh, their receivers to try and make that big play to get back into the game. And that's exactly what, what any defense, but especially Penn State's wants to do is put you in a position where they know what you're going to want to, they know what you're going to do and they can start trying to force mistakes. And you saw it with um, right at the end of the first half when OA got to the working and had the strip sack that Michigan State fell on that ended the half. Um, they got to him the second time for this. Um, I think it was actually ruled a fumble that was just recovered in the air. Um, there was the Marquise Wilson interception. There were a handful of other near interceptions that weren't made and that they got Lombardi. Uh, I think that was Brisker late in the game, got him. Yep. Um, so it's, it was a, t- a team effort, if you will, I guess, where you, you put your defense in the position they want to be in, where they can attack. Um, I don't want to say you're taking chances, but you can be more aggressive. Um, you can go for the interception when maybe in a closer game you're going to play a little more conservatively and keep that guy in front of you. Um, and then this this has been the story with Michigan State really um, all year, but especially in their last three games against Ohio State, Wisconsin, now Penn State against um, probably the three of the four best defenses in the Big Ten, um, the, the fourth being uh, Michigan, which they face here in a couple of weeks, which is going to be a disgusting game on many levels. Nope. <laughs> But uh, just you, doing what has been the recipe for success that has been laid out, get them behind, um, force them to do things they're not comfortable doing um, without Felton Davis, without some of the receivers they've had in previous years. Um, a ton of credit to the secondary. Daryl Stewart Jr. has been their number one receiver all year. He had just one catch for 11 yards. I, I do think Stewart got – he might have picked up a knock. I don't know if that kept him out for an extended period of time, but there was definitely one moment where – uh, he asked to come out and went to the sideline and had a bit of a noticeable win. Um, well, with, with with that said, then you know maybe that plays a part in it too. But I just thought it was just a really complete performance, and they they were um, stopped the run early on. Um, you know, Michigan State came out and ran the ball three straight times, and um, I think had a third and short, um, and they stopped him for no gain or, or certainly short of the line and forced that punt right away. And I think that led to the, the first touchdown of the game for Penn state, if my memory is right, as far as the chain of events. So just a really all around solid game. I don't think, um, you know, obviously there was the long pass play to Cody white that um, looked like maybe a miscommunication between Tariq Castro fields and uh, the deep safety on that play, you know, whether, you know, field should have stayed with the, the receiver or the safety had, should have had help over the top. Other than that, like you said earlier, Bill, there really wasn't a a play where it felt like they were out of their element or got burnt or made a bad read. They just really were a solid, like we said, like the offense, really solid from the first snap to the last. It's it's funny because if you take that one forty nine yard reception out of it, Michigan State's offense gained two hundred and sixteen yards of total offense. I do think that. This Michigan's Michigan State's offense is very much not good. I mean, you mentioned it in the intro, Matt, but they don't have the horses that a Michigan does where if they're able to get into a groove, they're able to figure it out. So that mixed with uh, 
that mixed with the fact that Penn State's offense, aside for the pass rush, which, you know, I'm going to hope it was because it was a wet, rainy day and it was hard for them to get their footing because I, uh, I'm i getting to the point where I'm a bit curious about the pass rush when they're going up against good, you know bigger, stronger offensive lines. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it, though. Mixed with the rain, like, it was just a recipe for disaster for Michigan State. But having said that, Penn State's offense just had a – and defense had a wonderful, wonderful football game. I was so impressed with Marquise Wilson when he was out in the field. He looked – he did not look like a true freshman who is, you know, however many games into his career. I, w- I continue to be impressed by what we see out of Lamont Wade. It looks like he's really started – uh, to grasp that safety position to make it his own. I, we talked about this during the preseason, but he was kind of on that Garrett Taylor path where as, you know, in his first year in the program, whatever, his second year in the program, he gets moved to safety and he spends all of his time learning the new position. The big year is that third year and how he responds to it now that he has three years in the program under his belt, now that he has an extra year at safety under his belt, and Lamont Wade is like very, very good in that position. And then, of course, there's the dude, there's Micah Parsons, who I don't think Penn State beats Ohio State, but I do trust that if Penn State is going to stay in that game, it is going to be in large part because of the fact that Micah Parsons is on the football field. He is a predictable digis linebacker he has speed and strength and physicality and a willingness to mix it up that a lot of guys that young don't have even when they have been playing linebacker for their entire life so they have all these really good individual pieces that are just kind of coalescing at the right time they're now going to go into this bye week they're now going to have the chance to iron some stuff out and I think it's possible for this defense to be able to take another step now that they have now that they know exactly who they are and what they're doing and they guys are figuring out or have figured out exactly what their roles are it sets up for a very exciting last month of the season for a defense that has been very exciting for 2 months so far this year and you saw it in the fact that Michigan State could not like they were willing to give just about anyone they could an opportunity to run the football, and it just did not matter. Brian Lewerke, who will go, we'll just say that he has his good games and his bad ones. Well, as we saw in 2017 and 2018, when he has played Penn State the last couple of years, he's had good ga- good games to the extent that he's able to win them. He could not get anything going through the air or with his legs against that Nittany Lion defense. I cannot be more impressed with what we saw out of Penn State on that side of the football. It came at the exact right time. It gave them exactly what they needed. It made it so when the offense wasn't able to get much going later in the game, it didn't seem like it was going to matter at all because the defense was on the field. And it also didn't matter because Penn State's special teams were very, very good. We're not going to go as deep on these guys, but I do want to shout out really quickly. uh, Blake Gilligan put on one hell of a show punting the football. uh, And then everyone that they have on their punt coverage team, Matt, Seems like they're really, really good at it, whether it's Dan Chisena or whether it's anyone else. They just get down there really quickly and either A, don't let the returner get anywhere, or B, down the punt in deep. And as fans of Big Ten football, 
to the extent that you and I are, that is, uh, that is one of life's great little luxuries. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we spent a lot of time over the summer talking about, um, Joe Lord coming in, taking over the special teams and, and kind of being the head coach of that, that phase of the game. Um, they haven't had that, that standout performance before Saturday, but it had been a solid unit that, um, wasn't hurting them and was, was, not while well, not making the big play was doing enough to 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 benefit the team. Saturday was almost kind of a coming out party with the blocked field goal. Um, unfortunately, they had the missed extra point, um, which looked like it was a combination of a few different factors. Probably some of that, um, at least some of that, aided by the uh, the weather. And then you also had um, for the second. This is kind of odd to say, but for the second straight week, you had a return called back by a penalty. I thought. Um, the, the running to the kicker call was a little soft. Um, I didn't get into it like the Sabruder film or anything like that, but it looked like uh, Michigan State's punter certainly uh, made the contact look much more forceful than it actually was. Um, but you're seeing elements of that explosiveness as they as things go a little bit further along. Um, and you look ahead to the game like Minnesota or Ohio State, the two big, big obstacles left on the schedule – um, no disrespect to Indiana and all disrespect to Rutgers. I was going to say, you better put some respect on Indiana's name there, my guy. <laughs> um, well, we're looking at, at the you know, ranked teams undefeated, but um, cer- certainly no disrespect to our, our dearly departed chaos team and the Crimson Quarry guys. Um, but those are the kinds of games where special teams feels like um, the, the, the play that wins or loses the game happens in that phase of the game. Um, you know, obviously three years ago in Ohio state, the blocked field goal, um, the next year in Columbus, the blocked punt by Ohio state that kind of swung that game back in their favor. Um, it's that phase it's step one for this team almost feels like it was don't cost yourself a game there. And now it feels like they're starting to make some plays where they can, they can swing the game with a play in the kicking game. Um, and I, th- this is my, my bull prediction there, I guess is over these next, three games, um, again, all disrespect to Rutgers, that there's there's going to be a, a notable play in special teams that, that swings one of these three remaining games, um, big remaining games, one way or another. Yeah, I, it's it, it reminds me of, I, I want to say Franklin said this a couple of years ago, but one of the things that happens when you recruit as well as Penn State have is that means you're going to have a lot of you're going to have four-star guys who are making impacts on special teams uh, you're going to have every once in a while you're someone that you trust for big snaps on offense or defense out there uh, because that's just another way to get them onto the field so that's something that helps Penn State a lot and that's something that if memory serves, when Charles Huff was Penn State's special teams coordinator, especially back in 2016, where they were pretty good there, uh, that was something that they relied on a fair amount. But then when you see guys, again, like a Dan Chisena, uh, like, you know, an Isaac Lutz, uh, those sorts, a Chris Stoll making plays on special teams, that just means they're really well coached. And that means they have a good game plan and they're good at executing it. So that's that, that's something that I don't know if I'll go as far as to say that it leads to plays that swing games or anything like that, but it's something that when you're going into games where the margins might be really, really small, being able to use that third of the game to get something 
that can oftentimes be a really, really big boost to your chances to pick up a win. Uh, another way to win football games is not get penalized. Uh, and that's something that Penn State uncharacteristically did a lot of nine penalties for 104 yards. And that kind of leads into the final thing we're going to talk about as we're doing a recap of this game, uh, which was just that fourth quarter and that sloppiness. Uh, whether it was that, whether it was on offense, I, I have the passing numbers for the fourth quarter up here and they were not particularly good. Uh, Matt, just focusing on the penalties and especially the personal fouls and the late game offense, was there anything that you weren't particularly stoked about as Penn State closed out that game? It seemed like, yeah, for better or worse, it did shoot itself in the foot a little bit. I yes and no. I think the penalties um, taken on their own are are discouraging. Um, I think big picture when you consider that for the most part over Franklin's tenure here, they've been really good at at avoiding penalties, especially the unsportsmanlike conducts, the the controllable penalties, the play not the, you know holdings happen, false starts happen, you know illegal blocks happen. Unsportsmanlike conduct penalties don't need to happen, and for the most part, they've avoided those. Um, I think part of it was no one really said it before the game. There was some, kind of some some talk around it after the game. They put a lot into this one. I don't think um, anyone in that building forgot the last two games against Michigan State or the fact they haven't won in East Lansing um, or hadn't won in East Lansing for ten years. Um, so I think just watching some of the the emotion of the game, that was probably part of it. And I think you get um, you know, a bunch of college kids fired up and um, sometimes emotions get the better view. I think part of it is the sign of a, a younger team, um, you know, learning how to handle success. Um, so I, if, if it had been an ongoing issue throughout the year where this is just a, you know, hey, here we go again sort of thing, it'd be a find it more concerning. I trust that, Franklin and the rest of the staff are going to handle it. He's already said they addressed it after the game. They were going to address it again um, on their during their Sunday meetings um, as they they um, kind of do their debrief and walk through from the the, the previous day's game. Um, so I don't think that's anything terribly concerning going forward. As for the the offense, I actually I was able to watch the second half today. I actually missed it live um, due to a wedding on Saturday night, but it felt like the couple of series that really stood out where they weren't able to run a whole lot of clock. They were, they had great field position and it, it really felt like they wanted to get that, that fifth touchdown, whether that was a, you know, run up the score and make it look better kind of thing, or just build a little bit more confidence after, um, you know, the struggles in the second half against Michigan. Um, and I think I could be way off here, but I didn't find it, terribly worrisome. Um, I thought, again, they're up 21 points. Michigan State's offense just isn't built to, to come back. I didn't, I had never once had the thought, oh, you know, this is, this is a repeat of the Michigan game sort of thing. Um, in hindsight, I'm sure, yeah, everyone would have loved to have just run the ball and gotten out of there and, you know, move on to the bye week and, and prepping for Minnesota. But it, it didn't feel like an egregious um, miss, miscalling of the game, if you will. Um, I think it was just probably, if anything, a hair too aggressive given the, the the conditions of the game 
and the the twenty the twenty one point lead. Um, I certainly get the concern given the um, the inability to put away Michigan the week a week ago. Um, you know, kind of the same issues against Pitt earlier in the year, even the Purdue game where they raced out to the big lead and then kind of um, scuffled for for most of the rest of the game. This felt a little bit different to me. Uh, maybe it's because I was able to watch it with the benefit of knowing how it played out, but it felt like a team trying to stay just aggressive enough to hopefully get that one more score and um, you know maybe build a little confidence or maybe make the the, the final score look a little, little bit better in your favor. Um, but I, it didn't feel like some of those previous games to me, at least. Yeah, I my entire thing was I think it was a mix of. Everyone just wanted to see that game end. They wanted to get that win over Michigan State. They wanted to get into the bye week with that uh, bit of momentum. It was a gross, rainy game. Uh, and it was just a little bit odd that they kept... I, I think it was a little bit odd that they just kept throwing the ball despite that. I mean, I have it up here. Uh, Penn State had Sean Clifford throw the ball uh, eight times in the fourth quarter. For two completions. One was the uh, big pass to Nick Bowers. The one very early on in the quarter where he went for 38 yards. And then one was on a third down play where it was a third down and 10. And he threw a pass to KJ Ham where it went for no gain. That was it. I, I, I would have really liked to see them. While I understand and agree to an extent with I want to see them you know, get some style points on Michigan State, considering how the last couple of years have went, considering uh, there's a lovely trophy on the line, all that stuff. I get that. Uh, But I would have liked to see them run the ball. Because like you said, Matt, it's not just these hasn't been a this year thing. It's been a bit of a thing for Penn State over the years where they aren't necessarily great or they haven't necessarily been great. I won't say they aren't necessarily great because they eventually closed out the Michigan game and the Iowa game they aren't necessarily great at putting games away. And I don't think this one was ever really in doubt with how the defense was playing, how Michigan State's offense was playing, all that stuff. But I would have liked to see them work on that a little bit. And I thought it would have been a good opportunity for them to work on it a bit with no Noah Kane. You get to find out who your other running back is that you trust in that situation to, to, to really run out the clock, really bleed things down, all that. When it comes to the penalties, especially the personal fouls, listen, Antonio Shelton can't spit on a guy. That That is something that is going to get you deservedly kicked out of the game every time. He has since apologized. I am, you know, I'm glad about that. He's a dude who plays with an edge. He plays with a fire. I think his emotions just got the best of him. That's not who he is, I don't think. I think that was just a heat of the moment type thing. And again, he's apologized, so I'm cool with that. There was one personal foul that I can't quite remember. I want to say it was after... It wasn't the Jaquan Brisker one. There was another one that I can't quite remember that I don't even think they showed it on state, on a, on television. But the big one other than that was Jaquan Brisker, and I remember that one because as he got to the sideline, my my NBA adult brain has watched a lot of... I, I am currently watching LeBron James play basketball, but I've watched a lot of his games. And when they end, LeBron will always talk to people. And when he does that, he puts his hand over his mouth. And the reason he puts his hand over his mouth is he doesn't want the camera to pick up what he's saying to someone. And James Franklin employed that exact same tactic talking to Jaquan Brisker. He really laid into him after he put, picked up his personal foul. Uh, 
following his interception. And Franklin said after the game, that's not what we want our program to be. Those are not mistakes we want to make. So I was a little bit bummed out to see those just because they're things that Penn State has been so good at avoiding over the years, even though they were really fired up uh, in this one. I don't think that gives them an excuse. But I'm not concerned they're going to be a thing that costs them any of these final games because, again, that just doesn't seem like it's in this program's DNA. Uh, moving on, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about the biggest lesson that we took away from this game just because we we kind of touched on everything. But, Matt, at eight ga- the, the schedule broke down very nicely this year in that Penn State had four games, then a bye, then four games, then a bye, then four games. And we're on that second bye, and we're going to go a little bit more in-depth Uh, With our midweek podcast this week, we're going to put out a call for mailbag questions. Make sure to keep an eye on the Twitter account for those. Feel free to get them in. We're going to need plenty of them to fill up all the time. But as we're two-thirds of the way through the season, what is your main general thought you have about this Penn State football team as we're sitting here and we're looking back at how they've gotten to this point? Well, I actually have something that's going up on the site on Monday um, that kind of answers aspects of this. Um, I, I, when I've, I've thought about this question in general, I've kind of viewed it through the perspective of where does Penn State fall in this kind of hierarchy of, of football programs at the moment. I think everyone can agree pretty safely that there's you know a top four of LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson in some order. Um Penn State, through eight games, through two-thirds of the year, has firmly entrenched themselves as solidly in that second tier, if not at the top of that second tier. You know, in the rankings they are right now, they're they're right outside the top four of the, uh, the four teams I've just mentioned. Um, when you look at teams like Wisconsin or Georgia or Oklahoma this past weekend that were either viewed as that top tier or solidly in that second group vying for a playoff spot. Um, they have played imperfect games and it's cost them. And Penn State has found a way, um, I think we'd all agree that, say for maybe the Maryland game, they really haven't put together a complete 60 minutes um, in any of their eight wins. But at the same time, this is a, a results-oriented business, as it were. And they've been on the right side of, of all eight games so far. Through eight games, they have really every goal that you want going into the year is, is attainable. Um, I think what's really fascinating is going into the year, we talked so much about this October schedule of Iowa, Michigan, Michigan state kind of being the games that we're going to define the season. And here we sit at the end of October and we're talking about a game in Minneapolis that all of a sudden is huge between two unbeaten teams and a home game against Indiana. Like that could be ranked potentially um, when they roll into Beaver stadium here in a few weeks. Um, and then, of course, the Ohio State game that we've had circled for months in Columbus. Um, but I think I've talked a lot about this um, kind of throughout the year, that as young as this team is, the level of confidence you can kind of just see growing um, in some ways in a bad way. You know, I think, like I said, some of that confidence of a young team has led to some selfish penalties like, um, like we saw on Saturday against Michigan State. But at the same time, a confident team, especially a young team, is so dangerous um, this team feels really focused. Uh, Shaka Tony had a quote after the game, essentially saying, you know, some teams want to kind of waltz into their bye week. We're not going to do that. We're going to you know, practice hard all week. We're going to you know, take advantage of the time off, but we're not going to you know, 
take us take a step back and relax here because they know what's still to come. Um, there's a, a quiet confidence about this group that I see that I think they know they're pretty good. I think they they know everything that's on the table to play for. Um, but really, at the end of the day, at eight and zero, this team is probably ahead of where I think a lot of us thought they were going to be. I don't think many of us thought that. Um, that, that thought Penn State would go 3-0 and over this three-game stretch um, with two tough road games and a good Michigan team at home. Um, and here they are, um, having gotten through that gauntlet, um, probably in some ways more, more impressively than we thought they would. And you've got a Big Ten championship to play for. You've got a college football playoff berth to play for. You've got um, you know, all the things that go along with that. When you went into this year with so many questions, to have all that still on the table after who they've played and how they've looked is, it's pretty impressive. And I think, um, you know, there's, there's work to be done probably a little bit more than we expected a couple months ago, or even a couple weeks ago with Minnesota and Indiana. Um, but everything that, that you play this game for is on the, the table. I, I think that this group understands that. And I think they, like I said, have that confidence to go out and, and do their best to handle it. Yeah. I, I, while you were talking there, I decided to go back and look at our preseason record round table uh, you had Penn State at ten and two. I had them at nine and three. We both mentioned uh, that we thought they were going to lose. Uh, you said two of three against Ohio State. Uh, they, they win two of three against Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. I said they lose to Michigan and Ohio State, and then either Iowa or Michigan State. So I think when you look at where this team was everyone thought this team would be and where this team is, they have exceeded expectations. Um, That's kind of amazing considering how young they are, considering a new quarterback is under center, considering the fact that they're doing a running back by committee. All these things, you add them together, and Penn State is ahead of where it's supposed to be which is just kind of the big overarching thing that I try to remember whenever I go, okay, Sean Clifford hasn't been perfect. They they don't quite know. They haven't quite figured out how they want to do things with running back. They haven't really found, you know, a third and a fourth pass catch, consistent third and fourth pass catching option. Uh, Although Jahan Dawson, some more fourth pass catching options because Jahan Dawson's done a nice job. That sort of stuff. Like all the issues are things we kind of nitpick on. But you're going to be able to nitpick on any team that you watch a lot of football for. What it comes down to right now is they're 8-0. And, and it. I don't think they're going to add 9-3. Like I certainly see a path where they lose to Minnesota and Ohio State and sandwich in between them. They just get, you know, they look back at the Minnesota loss and look ahead to Ohio State and they get stunned by Indiana. But no, like I, I think right now, with where Penn State sits, they're currently, assuming Ohio State makes the playoff, they're not going to make the Big Ten title game. They're not going to p- compete for a Big Ten championship. But this is a team that can very easily make the Rose Bowl, and that's just kind of wild to me. And that's something I'm going to try to remember as over this ne- over these next couple of weeks when I go back and I watch highlights of Minnesota, and they scare the living hell out of me. So I think that's it for talking about old alma mater. This week, let's get into our weekly Big Ten roundup. Start with Ohio State-Wisconsin. Matt, how much of this game did you watch? 
I actually was able to watch most of it. Um, oh my god! Well, well, I, 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 let me finish. Let me. Finish. I was able to watch most of it. I did not watch most of it. Um, I, like I said, I had a wedding um, on Saturday evening, but uh, I think I turned this off and flipped over to Kansas or Kansas State, Oklahoma, sometime um, between like twenty four to seven and thirty eight to seven. Um, cause I just started watching the hilariousness that is Ohio state Twitter. The, the few people I follow on there that, um, we we actually can tolerate, um, Ohio state's just really, really good. Um, it's, it's not, not to get, not to get ahead of ourselves and talk about that game. Um, cause I don't think Penn state wins. I don't think ultimately it's particularly close, but Penn state's defense is going to be the most athletic unit they face, um, with the possible exception of Michigan the next week. Um, but their ability to just come at you wave after wave after wave, um, there's just no let up. They've, they've started a little slow this year is about the only fault they've had, but they've been so good from the second quarter on, um, and just so many weapons. Chase Young was just absolutely unbelievable. Um, I'm not sure why Wisconsin tried to go one-on-one with him as much as they did, but, um, just a a really complete team and, and Cleveland Browns, if you're listening, please hire Ryan day. Yeah. I, with, with how, um, they were able to stop Jonathan Taylor for when you are able to hold Wisconsin to 83 rushing yards, you're going to just destroy it. Like, I think, like you said, Matt, Penn state's going to lose that game and it won't be particularly close. Uh, that's one hell of a football team in Wisconsin. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of controversial take here. They probably should have beaten Illinois uh, because that you, you really, they now find themselves in the situation where they have to hope that uh, a few teams are able to beat Minnesota. So they're able to make it to the big 10 championship game, which hey, that could happen. Uh, they play Minnesota, but they have to hope that one of Penn State and Iowa or Iowa or Northwestern does that before them. So that's uh, again not the situation you want to find yourself in. Uh, we'll go to a more crappy game first. Did you watch any of Indiana Nebraska? I watched zero seconds of that. I did not As know did the final score of this game until about uh, five minutes ago when I pulled up the results page on ESPN. For one, uh, Nebraska is there. Scott Frost. I want I think Scott Frost basically said something like, "We just don't have the toughness that you need to have to play football at Nebraska." I, that's very not much, not a direct quote, but it's very funny to see how that is unraveled. Uh, and then the impressive thing for me, Indiana did this with their backup quarterback in. They were able to get to thirty-eight in uh, Lincoln, keep Nebraska at bay. I really am. If that game against Indiana, I think I said this last week, if that game against Indiana was in Bloomington this year, Matt, I would be mortified. Yeah, well, I'm terrified of every game in Bloomington, but especially this year. <laughs> like, like we've talked about a couple times when we've done this recap, you and I, Indiana's good. Um, I think they're like legitimately you know, that, good, not like Indiana good. Like actually, a pr- they when SP Plus dropped today. Indiana was the highest ranked team in SP plus in their state, which says a lot because Notre Dame is in their state. <laughs> it's um, they've, they've got hammered by, by Ohio state. Um, Michigan state got them in a bizarre 40 to 31 game in East Lansing. Um, 
those are, are the two toughest teams they've played to this point. They eked out a win at Maryland last weekend. But actually, that was actually a pretty entertaining game, all things considered. Um, they've got, got the meat of their schedule here coming up um, with Penn State and Michigan in, in back-to-back weeks. But um, this is a team that probably will go, should go 8-4 and four if they get a break against, um, hopefully the break comes against Michigan and not Penn State, could go 9-3. and three. Um Taking winning the games they're supposed to win, maybe pulling that upset. At worst, this is an eight and four team, and um, given the the history of Indiana football, especially recently, um, that's mighty impressive. And and like I said, they've they've taken care of business against teams that they are equal to or better than, and that is not always the case in Bloomington. Yeah, and if they can go nine and three, and they could pick up a ranked win against Penn State or Michigan, that'd be, whew, that's a hell of a season for Indiana, huh? And, and they've got Michigan at home, they so do. like you said, and they, Bloomington's I mean, a weird town, and they're, uh, they're not. Again, I don't think they beat Penn State, obviously, but they're going to be coming off of a bye, and Penn State's going to be coming off of what should be a really, 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 really weird game against Minnesota. So. Indiana's going to come into that one with a whole lot of confidence, and if Penn State's not able to watch themselves, that game could be unnecessarily close. Uh, moving on, Matt, I believe it was former Houston Rockets head coach uh, Rudy Tomjanovich who once said, never underestimate the heart of a champion. Uh, if you would like to fact-check me on that, go for it, but I'm pretty sure that was by Rudy T. Uh, there sh- that should be changed to never underestimate the pride of a six-point home dog, uh, because Rutgers beat Liberty forty-four to thirty-four. Um, congratulations to, uh, like, on one hand, congrats to Rutgers. They needed a win in the worst way. They were able to get one. Their quarterback Johnny Langan played a really, really good football game. Uh, on the other hand, it's still very funny that they were that they had to valiantly rally back to beat Hugh Freeze and the Liberty Flames. To, well, no, they didn't. Uh, rally back. They had a valiantly rally to take down Hugh Freeze and the Liberty Flames as uh, six or seven or whatever underdogs. They they actually they did have to rally twice. They trailed fourteen seven and twenty one fourteen. Believe it or not, um, in the first half, uh, and then um, you know rallied pulled off the last. Uh, would that be thirty? They outscored them thirty to uh, thirteen. I guess that would be over the uh, most more or less the second half of the game. So, um, like you said, good for Rutgers. Um, we could go on and on about Liberty and all sorts of bizarre things that happened there. But um, like you said, this is a team that desperately needed a win. This is probably their last one of the year. Um, I know they've still got, um, Oh, they, they still have to close out the year. I forgot this Ohio state, Michigan state at Penn state. Oh Christ. P- poor Rutgers. Oh, well, that's... listen, if there's any consolation, they get Ohio state at home after a bye. So, Maybe maybe they'll get a field goal <laughs> against against Ohio State this year. If they can get a field, and, and they've got Michigan State at home, so if they can no, get you know, a who knows field, what's going to be going on in, these, in Spartyville at that point? If they can get a field goal off of Ohio State, they need to build a statue for the Italian guy coaching them. Now, um, I did not know a single thing about Illinois beating Purdue twenty four to six, but I just looked at the box score and the quarterback who beat Wisconsin went three for six for twenty six yards. So. Um, I don't know what happened here, but oh, they ran the ball fifty-three times. That'll do it. Uh, Purdue um, look alive and throw the ball to David Belmore, but I I got nothing on this one. Uh, 
we all know Purdue wants to throw the ball, and the the weather in West Lafayette was, I was gonna say, um, was it bad conceivably weather? as bad as it was at pretty much everywhere else in the Big Ten footprint this weekend. Um, Rutgers notwithstanding, because Jersey's not the Big Ten footprint. Sorry, Jim Delaney and Shut your, up. your 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 uh, cable subscriptions. Um, I look Illinois is four and four. I don't know if there's two more wins on their schedule. They've got Rutgers. Um, and they've got Northwestern to close out the year, so I mean, the, those uh, sandwich Michigan State and Iowa, which probably aren't wins, but who knows? Lovey Smith's beard uh, is four and four. Um, they've rallied from four straight losses now to win two straight. They got Rutgers coming to uh, Champaign this weekend. Um, we could see bull eligible Lovey Smith, which just yeah, blows my mind, given I. Uh, how we how we anticipated this year going in, in Champagne? Yeah, I think Bill C did his uh, bowl probability numbers, and for Illinois, they're up to like a sixty six percent chance or something. I, they have to beat. They have Rutgers, Minnesota, uh, not Minnesota, Rutgers, Michigan State, Iowa, Northwestern left. I very easily can see two wins in there. So shout out to Lovey Smith because that. If there is any program in the Big Ten that needs a bowl berth this year that could realistically get one, which means not Rutgers, it's Illinois. So good for them. Um, Matt, are you aware of anything that happened in Iowa Northwestern? I'm aware that they played football. It ended- I, I, well, I, I assume they played football. There's a score and a, and a box scoring stats and everything. Um, I think Iowa had a long touchdown uh, pass and run which is very on Iowa them, but that that is about it. It ended 20 to nothing Iowa. 302 total yards for the Hawkeyes, 202 for the Wildcats. Um, this game was so bad. I didn't watch any of it, but this game was so bad that I tweeted out that I the first three people who replied to my tweet, I would Venmo $1 to because they deserved something for watching that game. Uh, first three people, and I... I was out $3 within a few minutes. So um, keep an eye on that because I will probably do that for another Northwestern game. Now to the games that we're going to talk about a little more seriously. Uh, first up, we'll talk about Minnesota against Maryland. Uh, the Golden Gophers won 52-10. to 10. They ran the ball. They did whatever they wanted on the ground against uh, the Terps, which you know, not a huge shock. Threw the ball a little bit, didn't need Tanner Morgan to do a lot through the air. And on the other side of the ball, Maryland just couldn't get anything going on offense. It's In the little bits that I watched of this game, Maryland looked like a football team that just wants this season to end. Uh, James Franklin really did sap them of whatever energy that they might have had. So uh, that was that, that's a fun little thing for him to hang his hat on. But Minnesota, man... I know that there are really legitimate questions about their schedule, but this team looks really, really, really good. Yeah, I, I have not been able to really watch them that closely, so I, I won't have my first real close-up look until the Penn State game here in two weeks. Um, but from what I've, I, the little I have seen and just kind of reading recaps of games and looking at stats, they remind me, and I think I've probably said this before, remind me a little bit of what Iowa wants to do. They want to run the ball, control the clock. They'll throw it when they have to, or kind of, you know, when you least suspect it, play action pass, all that stuff. Um, from a Penn state perspective, I think Penn state's ability to stop the run is going to play a huge part in that. We'll obviously talk about that a little bit more, um, in the coming weeks, but, um, 
look, they're they're eight zero. They have the meat of their schedule still to come. But like we were talking about with with a couple other teams in the Big Ten, they've beaten teams that are both they're equal to or less than their talent level, which is what what you need to do, um, especially for a program like Minnesota that hasn't um, seen the, this kind of success in quite a while. Um, I'm looking down their schedule right now, South Dakota State, Fresno, Georgia Southern, Purdue, Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland. I'm trying to figure out who the toughest opponent is. It's probably South Dakota State to open the year. Them in Illinois, I would probably um, say. Yeah, in, in Illinois, they, it was an impressive win at home. Um, well, we're, we're going to find out a lot about Minnesota in their final four games. They host Penn State, go to Iowa, travel to Wisconsin, or travel to Northwestern, then host Wisconsin. Um, I think they certainly will be favored against Northwestern. I'm not sure if they're favored in either of those other two games. They'll be, you know, probably the proverbial coin flip. But look, like PJ Flex done a fantastic job. You know, you look at where this team was when he got there. Um, they're they're winning games that. That they should win. They're not. They're um. You know, they've pulled a couple upsets by, by point spread. If you probably look at some a couple of those games closely, um, and they're playing really impressive football. And like we've talked about with Penn State, they they've got a level of confidence now too, um, that going to eight and zero gives you. And I think um, a confident team is a dangerous team. Um, like I said, I think Penn State matches up with them pretty well, uh, at least on paper. Um, but it's it's going to be an interesting game there in a couple of weeks because you have the potential for uh, Minnesota November weather. You've got um, you know a pair of eight no teams and and the chaos that is college football down the stretch. Yeah, they have a very very good running back in Rodney Scott, um, who for my money is the best in the conference after uh, J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor, and then they have a pair of really really good receivers over Shad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. So they're that that's going to be a really it's a, going to be a good test for both Penn State and Minnesota. That game is, I think that's going to be a really fun one. Uh, and then Maryland, there, there is no harm in deciding that you need to be only a basketball school. And I say that in part because your last month of the year is Michigan at Ohio State, Nebraska at Miss, um, Michigan State. Um, last up, Michigan-Notre Dame. Michigan 45-14 to 14 in this one. Credit to Nick. I think he saw a Michigan win coming. I thought Notre Dame was going to blow them out. I don't want to spend too much time talking about this game because Michigan just kicked the hell out of Notre Dame and did literally everything right while Notre Dame did literally everything wrong. But, Matt, to kind of put this into a Penn State context, this makes Penn State's win last week look a whole hell of a lot more impressive in my eyes. I think um, a couple of things. I think Michigan's found a bit of an identity on offense. I don't think they're going to be, whether it's because of personnel, whether it's because of quarterback play, whatever, they're just not going to be that explosive, you know, Joe Moorhead, uh, Alabama, Penn State offense that I think a lot of us thought they wanted to build when they hired Josh Gaddis. Um, Part of this was dictated by just absolutely dreadful weather conditions. Um, you thought East Lansing was bad. Um, right about the time that game ended, it started pouring um, in Ann Arbor where I was for this wedding, and it did not stop until probably about midway through the third quarter when things were kind of in hand for Michigan. Um, they only threw the ball. Michigan only threw the ball 14 times. Um, they did have 134 yards. They had a couple big plays. Um, but they have realized that 
uh, between Hassan Haskins, who had almost 150 yards rushing, and Zach Charbonnet, who had uh, 74. They've got a pair of pretty effective running backs. I think their offensive line has kind of um, rallied to the fact that there was a lot of talk about how much they've struggled. And the number one way an offensive line can redeem themselves, in my eyes, is being a really good run-blocking line that's you know all aggressive and that's all um, less technique, more just raw physicality. And that's kind of what Michigan's morphed into. You saw it um, against Penn State is kind of how they found the rhythm on offense is, is the running game. Um, lo- not as much uh, read option look, much more let's just get the ball in the hands of, of these two backs that have established themselves and let them go. Um, I, I had forgotten that Nick uh, thought Michigan was going to win this game, mostly because I usually ignore a lot of what Nick says, but even just looking at the, the SP plus predictions and some of the other, um, you know, higher level stats have not been big fans of Notre Dame. I didn't see a 45, 14 win, but I thought Michigan would probably win the game. If they weren't going to win the game, they were going to lose by 30. I don't think it was going to be a close loss by any means. I thought if they were going to lose, it was going to be because they just, um, physically weren't ready to go after, um, the near miss at Penn state last week. But, um, at Michigan probably, at this point, looks like they should go nine and three at worst with the remaining schedule. Um, again, I don't see any way how anyone's beating Ohio State in the Big Ten this year, um, let alone nationally. But um, given where they were a month ago, if they can get to nine and three, it's certainly not going to be Big Ten championship college football playoff like a lot of people were talking. But um, if the offense continues to take some steps, I think there's at least some positives that can be taken from that year win a bowl game and, and win 10 games and um and build on that yeah i mean they have a big physical offensive line uh they have talent at wide receiver they have running backs who can be really really hard to take down um they're absolutely going to thrash maryland i think they should beat michigan state pretty comfortably um, and then Indiana, I think they'll probably end up winning that game, which means they'll have a nice four-game winning streak riding high, uh, probably a top-10 ranking heading into Columbus, and then, oh my God, is Ohio State going to destroy them? Uh, so good on Michigan. But yeah, I mean, it's it, this game and the fact that Michigan was able to run the ball so well makes the fact that they couldn't really run the ball even though they were on the field for basically the entire game against Penn State look all the more impressive. Uh, they did what they had to do through the air, but it was a it was a good win for Michigan, and it makes me it makes me a little bit happier about what we saw at a Penn State when the Nittany Lions won that game last week. Uh, and then as for Notre Dame, uh, I was kind of feeling myself uh, from the blog's Twitter account on the, on Saturday night. So I tweeted something about just like, could you imagine being a top 10 team and losing to Michigan? Cause like, what the hell is Notre Dame doing? Like they're, they stink and anything that involves Notre Dame getting egg all over their face is extremely good. So that was good. Uh, good. Just like the Penn state and Nittany Lions. Matt, are there any final things that you would like to say before I close this one up? Enjoy the bye week. Penn State's eight, no one in the top five. That's fun. Yeah, and uh, like we said, make sure you're keeping an eye uh, on the blog's Twitter account because we're going to be putting out a call for questions for a mailbag podcast sometime 
this week. We're going to be recording it, I think, on Wednesday. So look for that on Tuesday or Wednesday, something something like that. Uh, otherwise, yeah, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Make sure uh, you do follow us on all the social media channels, uh, Twitter, all the other ones. And make sure you are subscribing to the podcast on SoundCloud and leaving us a re- I subscribing to the podcast on a various podcasting platforms and leaving us a review on iTunes. Make sure you keep reading and supporting the site. Make sure you keep going out and buying some of our t-shirts. And one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lines Radio from my co-host Matt DeBear. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.